0: Make it much of what God gives to us. That's the mission of the church. Uh, in part, uh, as we seek to make him famous to a world that desperately needs him, uh, we're certainly going to have to utilize what he gives us. We in ourselves, uh, we have nothing. We have nothing to give uh, to a world that desperately needs salvation, uh, but through God and his empowerment of us, uh, we have all kinds of stuff to get. So We, we started talking here in Romans chapter 12 last week, uh, and I figured out it was going to take longer than one sermon. So we've stretched it out over two weeks. We are now, Fonzie is over the shark tank. Let's see if he lands. Is anybody here last week we talked about jumping the shark? Anyway, if you weren't here, forget it. All right. Um, so we're trying to answer this question. How do we make much of what God has given to us? And last week we figured out, in summary, that we, it starts with surrender. We see around here that we exist to surrender to God as he makes disciples through us here and around the world. That is... Uh, to me, a summation of the message and the mission of the of the Bible, and 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 so us being effective in that mission starts with us getting low, staying low, getting on our backs before a holy God, and just saying, uh, "All you, none me." All right. It starts with surrender. It says this in Romans chapter twelve, and and this is in Romans twelve where where Paul is is kind of pivoting in his letter to these Romans, this Roman church, and he's he's t- spent eleven chapters talking about the fact that, well. Um, no one's righteous, chapter three. No, not one. Everyone is a hot, hot, hot mess, right? And, and so none of us have anything to offer God, uh, but he uh, has given us righteousness, and it's chapter four, through faith. Righteousness is achieved or given by faith or through faith. And then he goes on, spends a lot of time talking about that, uh, talking about what God did so that faith and, and righteousness could be ours through Christ. In, in the whole of it, he's talking to a, a, a church that's divided, uh, the first couple of chapters of Romans, you find out that the Jews thought they were, they were better than the Greeks because they were Jewish, right? And obviously God loves the Jews more, the Jews thought. And, uh, and so uh, he's, he's dispensing all those things by saying nobody's righteous, everybody needs Jesus, it's by faith that we are saved, um, and now he gets here to the, to the results. How do we live in light of all this theological truth? So he says here, verse 1, so I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, uh, by the mercies of God. He calls them, first of all, brothers. Again, uh, dispensing of and and ridding himself of any of those distinctions, Jew, Greek. Later in Galatians, he says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one under Christ. Everybody with me on that? So whenever you see brothers, he's implying brothers and sisters. He's talking about the church being the fam. We are the family of God. And he says, I appeal to you as my family. Uh, that's That's his addressees. Uh, But he says, here's your motivation. Have you ever heard an actor say, okay, in this scene, what is my motivation? I want to become this character. What is my motivation? I've never heard that, but I hear they say it. Anyway, uh, uh, we do things in life that we're motivated to do, Uh, whether uh, under duress or because of the reward uh, or because of something that someone's done for us. There's motivations for all kinds of things. This is the motivation. Our motivation is the mercies of God. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, By the mercies of God. Because of all that God has done for us, here is what you do. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We talked about how bodies there uh, means a a complete presentation. We're we're given all of us. Everything that is us is in here. You can talk about your possessions. Those are exterior to you. But everything that is you is truly interior to you. It's inside the flesh and bones that you walk around in. And so when he talks about your body, he's talking like, don't hold anything back. None of this. Now, well, here's me, but not this. No, here's me. Here's all of me. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Living sacrifices. I was thinking about this week. Remember when Jesus said this? He said, no greater love has a man than this, that he lays down his life for his brother. Anybody remember that? Jesus said that. And Jesus said that in deference to or in reference to. Uh, the fact that he was going to go to the cross. He's he's saying, listen, I'm going to show you what love is. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to get on a cross and die so that you might live. But then you you get past the cross, you get past the Gospels, and and you start reading over and over again that uh, we are are meant to be dead to me followers of Jesus. There's this, and and he, he so beautifully phrases it here, we're living sacrifices. What's that mean? Well, we're physically alive, but spiritually or, or in, in, in reference to God, we are dead to ourselves. We have, we have no greater love than this than to lay our lives down for the sake of each other and for the sake of our God. We're the, you know, it's a, it's a show on TV now, but we're the walking dead. We are dead to ourselves, dead to what our wants are, dead to what our desires are, dead to the things of this world, and we are alive, it says all over the, uh, the writings of Paul, we are alive to Christ. He's our heartbeat. He's our true north. He's what we live for. That's what it means to surrender. It's to be the walking dead, the walking dead to me. He says, or to be holy, that means set apart, it's consecrated. Uh, It means, and he says acceptable God. This was a huge get for me after studying this verse for however many years that I've been a Christian. It just occurred to me in this one preaching of this thing Oh, God gets to set what's acceptable to him, not me. Because Christians are great at saying, God, this is what I'm going to give you. This is my acceptable sacrifice. This is what you deserve according to me. Uh, but we don't get to do that. We aren't the standard bearer. If you guys go to lunch today, and I've talked to you about this before, but if you go to pay for your, your Chipotle or wherever you go, they've had some troubles. Chipotle has been in the news. But anyway, but wherever you go, and, you, and the person tells you that there's, there's a number on the cash register according to what the prices are on the menu and here's what tax is and stuff like that and your, your bill is like 30 bucks and you say, you know what, I got five. And that is the acceptable price that I would like to pay for this food today. Okay, they're calling the cops. You're wacko, all right? That's not how economy works and it's certainly not how a spiritual economy works. If you are uh, uh, the, uh, the owner of the shop, you are the determiner of the price. Agreed? And so when it comes to us and our sacrifice to God, it's not up to me to determine what's acceptable to him. It's up to him to determine what's acceptable to him. He says, it's your spiritual worship. And the English Standard Version uh, leads out a word that's in a lot of other translations. It says reasonable. The reason that it does that is because they've made some Translational, you know, decisions, but that word there, spiritual, is actually the Greek word logikos, from which we get what logical. It just makes sense. Like, like, uh, look, you don't have to be Christian uh, or or patently Christian to understand. If someone, if a deity gives himself, his entire self to you, so that you could have life again with him, uh, and 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 is is, is invested him him holy himself holy. Well, then the logical response to that is eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, one for one. You, you gave your life, I'll give you mine, right? It's just logic. It just makes sense. Verse 2. He says, don't be conformed to this world. This is that whole, you know, <laughs> if everybody jumped off a bridge, your brother ever say that to you? If everybody was going to jump off a bridge, would you jump off too? My response was always a smart aleck response. It's like, well, where's the bridge? Is it, a, is it like a deep river? Am I going to die? I mean, it sounds kind of fun to be able to jump off a bridge, and I've done that. I've been to Wisconsin. They jump off of bridges in Wisconsin all the time. Those people are crazy, but it is a blast, right? Because you go out and climb up on these bridges, and you, I mean, it's, it's like having a pool. It's called a river, right? You just you jump into them. My mom was like, you know what I mean, right? And I did know what she means. And what's her point and every other mother's point? Hey, we don't do what everybody else is doing just because they're doing it, Right? It's so refreshing now. I mean, I'm sure there's certain styles in the world today. But when I was a kid, if you weren't wearing the right things, I tell you this all the time, you were just weird. And and middle school especially was all about just not sticking out. Conform, conform, conform. But that's not the spiritual life that we've been called to. We talked about this last week. This is an away game. This is not our home. We are not trying to fit in. I preached this series a couple years ago. We just call it weird. We're weird. Get used to it. We're, we're Christians. We're weird. We're going to be vilified. I read a book uh, that, you know, that, that basically says that we're, uh, we're going to be seen as, uh, I'm going to mess up the words, but they're just gonna, the world's going to con- increasingly think Christians are weirder and weirder. We're just not fitting in anymore. Our ethic, our values, it, it's more pronounced now than ever. And, and some of you are like, oh, yay, good. No, <laughs> that is good. Uh, Some people worry about persecution. I think it's a purification. When persecution comes, we get to find out who's really in this thing or not. Right? Because if if you're cool with Jesus, you're cool with being weird. Because the, the Christ life is not a conformed life. We're not concerned with what the world thinks of us or what the comforts of this world can give us. We're concerned with what honors our God. Don't be conformed to the world. Instead, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, be transformed passive. It has to be done to you. The transformation is not something you kind of grit your teeth and make happen. Uh, in fact, if anything spiritually has occurred in you, like if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian yet. I call you not yet Christians. But if you're not a Christian yet and you're here and you don't know why, I'll tell you why. God and his love and his Holy Spirit and his mercy has tapped you on the shoulder or, or sent some situations into your life to where you're like, I wonder about Jesus. I wonder about this God thing. And you're hanging out here. It's not because you're, you know, like... Uh, uh, you know, just curious in and of yourself. It's because God has said, over here, come to church. Now, if you're someone in here and you've, you've made a decision for Christ, I can't give you all the credit for that. I'm glad you said yes. But guess what the Holy Spirit did? Come on, come on, come on. If you were a little kid and you walked down the aisle, you remember what that was like? I, what's, something's pushing me. I don't know what this is. Right? It's the Holy Spirit. It's God doing the spiritual within you. Anything that spiritually has occurred in you is the Holy Spirit's uh, work, right? So you being transformed in your mind—not something you can gut out. It's something that has to be done for you and to you, transformed by the renewal of your mind, uh, so that you can test what's the perfect. Well, listen, people ask me this all the time. So what do I do then if I'm not doing anything in my spiritual life? What is what is my part? Well, I like to I like to say this: that we set the we set the. The table so that God can make the meal or deliver the meal. Or, or or, like this. I get my hair cut about every month at this one barber shop. And uh, I don't cut my hair anymore. I, I think I tried as a young boy to cut my hair with like those really fat handled scissors, you know, uh, that you use to cut construction paper. Did not work well. All right? Lines weren't straight. So, you know, since that time, maybe you've got a kid who's done that or you did that. Uh, most people don't cut their own hair. So I go to this guy who cuts my hair. Uh, But he doesn't come to my house. Maybe you've got a family member or something like that that's a barber or a beautician or whatever, stylist, and they come to your house, and you just have to show up at your house. But I have to go to this guy's shop. So I get in my truck, drive down 60, park in his uh, parking lot, sit in the chair, sign my name, sit in the chair, read the paper until he's done cutting the other dude's hair. Then I get myself up, and I sit in his chair, and I don't squirm like I did when I was a little boy, right? Remember when your dad had to, like, straight jacket you, you know, to get you to stop moving so that they could cut your hair? I sit all nice and calm, and I let this guy cut my hair, and he shows me the mirrors and all that stuff, and I'm like, yeah, fine, great, looks, looks like he cut my hair. Pay him, right? Do all the things that I got to do when I get back in my truck. Go oh, That's my part of my haircut. I don't cut my haircut, but I do everything leading up to it, and I go home after it. You don't do the spiritual work of your transformation, of the renewal of your mind, but you do everything before and after. You got, you got to get to the barbershop. Glad to see you here at the barbershop. Way to go good to have you. You've got to sit still and listen, all right? Uh, you've got to let whatever God's uh, doing through the music or through the teacher or through, listen, and it's not just coming to church. It's when you, you know why you got a Bible? Oh yeah, it's to hold the paper down when the windows open. That's what the Bible's for because those books are thick. I mean, have you ever seen those things? I mean, you could like kill someone. With, you know, so uh, some of the, that, that's what we think Bibles are for. They're, they're to sit on our coffee table to, you know, announce to everybody who comes into our house, holy, 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 right? <laughs> That's what a Bible's for. No, it's not a showpiece. It's not a paperweight. Your Bible is, is this living word. It's in your house. You've got this living word of God. It's this, it's this, um, not just a manual. It's not just a love letter. It's, it's all those things and so much more. It's your guide for life. You open that sucker up. You start feeding on what's in there, you let it get in and and, uh, into your heart and into your mind and start changing how you think. That's your part. Opening book, reading words. And then the Holy Spirit works through his word and changes your thinking, right? You got Christian friends? Hope you Anybody got a Christian friend? Anybody got any friends? Anybody got a friend in here? Good, that's a great start. If you've got a Christian friend or someone that's like a mentor in your life, well, you fostering that relationship is a way that you are being transformed in the renewing of your mind. Because if you don't know as much about Jesus as someone else in your life does, then they can kind of pass that stuff on. We're going to talk about that. We're a team. We're meant to benefit from each other. But you've got to be in those positions. You've got to set yourself up. You know, I was sad when the lightning lost this week. Uh, and I lamented the fact that they, you know, missed a lot of opportunities. If you you hockey, uh, goals are hard to come by. They put these seven-foot dudes in front of a net the size of a bread box. Uh, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to find holes to put the puck in, all right? And, and it, one of the hardest things for me to watch in a hockey play or a hockey game is when guys work so hard. They just skate so hard and work, you know, work so hard that they get themselves in a position where the net is wide open. And one of their, you know, teammates has made this great pass, and the dude just whiffs on the shot. Has anybody seen that or misses the net? It's like there's only going to be a few goals scored in this whole thing. We missed one! And I want to go into the TV and give noogies to whoever, you know. But listen, the fact that that guy even got in the right spot, tremendous amount of effort. And so the, the analogy breaks down. But if we're going to score in our relationship with Christ, if we're going to be renewed in our minds, we're going to get in position to be so. Are you with me? Well, that's, that was extra. <laughs> that's not even what I wanted to preach this morning. It's good to have you here. It's going to be one of those messages, just so you know. Both times i preach this one, it's gotten a little loose. So everybody hang on. All right. Where am I? Oh, yeah. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, listen, this is God's end game. In the Christ life, here is the end game. That you and I would figure out this narrow path that leads to life and get on it and stay on it. That we would discern uh, his good and perfect will and we would... We would follow it. In fact, that's why we were created. Go back to the garden. God created man and woman for a specific purpose, to go forth and multiply, but to honor him, to stay on the path. They chose it not. They went on this big, wide, super highway that leads to destruction, okay? And that's where most of the world hangs out, even you and I, uh, on our bad days. We're just swerving on the highway, right? Uh, doing uh, Conforming to the world, doing whatever we feels like good to us. But, but here's the hope of Christ in us, that we would say no to the highway and we'd find the narrow path and that in surrendering ourselves and allowing God to transform our minds, we would be able to discern in that transformed mind what his best route, his best life for us is and stay on it. That's the Christ life. It's why he made humans and it's why he sent Jesus to die for humans so that we, by his grace, would walk in the path he has for us. So, verse uh, 2 says this, don't be, con- oh, that's what I heard just said. <laughs> I told you, it's loose. Uh, you know, the bottom line of this is that we're not in control. Can everybody agree? You don't have to be Christian to even agree with that. You, you guys know you're not in control? Like, I got up Friday morning. Uh, I had a car accident, small one. Won't go into all the details. Guy cut in front of me. I smashed in his back uh, passenger uh, side door uh, he took some paint off my bumper. Again, trucks rule, uh, right? I'll never not drive a truck tank any ever again. But, you know, we exchanged information and all that stuff. But I'll, just, I'll tell you right now, on my calendar at 6.30 in the morning on Friday, it was not get-in-car accident. That was not something I had slated. Uh, further affirming to me, I'm not in control of my life. I was just stopped over at the side of the road getting a paper from the TBT box, right? And, and 30 seconds later... Uh, I'm exchanging insurance information with a kid that that hit my car. Um, (laughs) uh, You're not in control of your life. You don't have to be Christian to know that. Any one of us, I pray it doesn't happen, but any of us could turn out of our driveway today, coming home from church, and it'd be the last thing we do. Don't mean to be like, ooh, but that's that's true. You're not in control of your life. So the question is, if you're not in control of your life, who are you looking to control your life? Are you going to trust you with your life? Or are you going to trust God with your life? I took a bunch of high schoolers to Romania in the late 90s. Thought it was a good idea until I landed. I landed in the Bucharest airport and, uh, and had these 20 high schoolers and four or five uh, high school leaders with all of their bags. And I realized that I don't have a picture of the dude who's supposed to be beating me. His name's Vlad, which, by the way, is John in, in Romania. There's like every other guy's named Vlad, okay? And so uh, I'm just waiting for someone to walk up to me and introduce himself as Vlad. Well, someone did. You know, we I mean, were some of the only Americans coming off the plane. We were easy, easy to pick out. But uh, uh, this guy named Vlad comes up and says, hi, I'm Vlad. But he doesn't show me any credentials. He didn't show me like the letterhead from the missions agency or anything like that. He could have been any Vlad in the world, right? But I just knew I was meeting a Vlad, so I'm like, all right, in Vlad I trust. Here we go. We're going to go, right? And Vlad starts, listen, the most harrowing part of my trip to Romania was the first hour. Vlad walks us out to the airport uh, curb, and I'm like, hey, where's our transport? Usually they get you some vans and stuff like that to drive you to the next spot of your trip. We're taking the city bus. 25 Americans, all of their luggage, on a Bucharest city bus. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So that's what we did. The next bus came. And we just barely, I'm, just, I'm not kidding, we just barely got all of us on this bus. And it was one of those buses where people are hanging out the windows. If you've ever been to third world countries, it's just, there's chickens. I mean, it's just crazy, right? And so we're all on this bus. And I, I, I almost, I, it was the only time this has ever happened to me, I almost got mugged. The, 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 there's two more guys. The last two guys got on the bus just as the doors were closed. the first guy just, I mean, he just smacked into me. Like to the point, if we were in America, we're going to throw. This, this was a hard hit, Right? And so I just looked at him, but I am you know, I don't speak the language, I'm not going to win, they're, they're all Romanians, I'm an American, it's not going to work, but I'm just looking at this guy, I'm just seething. I'm so mad, I don't notice that his friend has come up next to me and unzipped my hip pack, they were cool back then. <laughs> unzipped my hip pack, and he had reached in, and all the money for the trip, like five grand, was in my hip pack. And he had his hands in my hip pack, and this is when I knew Vlad was not an imposter, Because Vlad had been watching this whole thing. Apparently, it's a common Romanian occurrence. And Vlad had been watching this whole thing from the front of the bus. And he comes barreling down as much as you can through 100 people, yelling in Romanian. I think he's yelling at me. I'm like, he bumped into me. What are you talking about? You're totally not the Vlad I was supposed to meet. (laughs) But he's yelling at this guy behind him. And and this guy, that's when I finally noticed, this guy's hand's in my hip pack. And I turn to this guy. I was like, hey! And he takes his hand out. And Vlad yells some things to him in Romanian. And I couldn't. We're we're on a bus. I couldn't run. He couldn't run. He sat down at the seat just to the side of me. I zipped my hip pack up, and I just stared at him for the next. So then, uh, uh, real quick, then we get out of the bus. Vlad's like, you know, maybe the bus is not a good idea. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Vlad. So we get out of the bus. Now we're going to take cabs. Yeah, 25 Americans and their luggage. In cabs, oh, by the way, the biggest car over there is a smart car. You know, one of those? It's like a golf cart. And so he just starts waving in golf carts one after another. And I put kids, hopefully, you know, there's four leaders. We can fit like two or three kids with a leader. in a So there's going to be like two, and there were. There was two taxis where I didn't have an adult in the taxi. I took the oldest, most experienced kids. I prayed with them. <laughs> Lord. I have no idea where Vlad's taking us, but I'm about to put high school students in the cab with a person that I've never met in a place that I've never been. God, get them somewhere. Amen, right? (laughs) We made it. We made it back. It's terrifying. So out of control. You're out of control. In whom do you trust? That day I trust in Vlad... But with my whole life, I trust in God. I want to be on his path. I want to discern what his, his steps are. I want to walk in them. Because I know it's the best life. in a life that I can't control. That wasn't in there either. All right, here we go. Um, <laughs> verse 3. So we start by surrendering. When We add to surrender sober-minded self-assessment. Sober-minded self-assessment. That's what it says. So Paul gets done saying, hey, lay down. Lay down your life. Be the walking dead. Dead to me. Go, go live. And then he says... For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. All right, listen, man. With all the grace that God could put into me, you got to get this, fellas. The first stop on the transformed mind bus line, the first stop that you got to make is in the mirror. You got to go to that mirror and you got to start seeing yourself correctly, with sober judgment, so that you have a right assessment of self, so that you can have a right assessment of Christ, and we can stay on this path together. If, if, you, if your me gland gets out of whack, well, then, then this whole Christ life is going to be almost impossible. You cannot serve two masters. He's spoken that, uh, Jesus spoke of that in terms of money and God, but it's the same of any other entity and God. You can't have two masters. You can't be serving the dude or the woman in the mirror and be serving God at the same time. So Paul says, hey man, don't think more highly than you ought to about yourself. That's the the Greek word, uber for rain. And Uber is just, it's not a taxi cab. uh, Uber is hyper or super. He's he's basically saying, don't super think about yourself. Don't think you're super. Uh, Keep yourself in perspective. Have sober judgment. He goes to the bars and he says, listen man, don't get don't get all stupid. Don't get all drunk about yourself or drunk with yourself. Be sober. Think clearly about yourself. His point is this, that there's a proper low. It goes back to the surrender idea, but there's a proper low. Uh, Sometimes, okay, and we're going to talk about this. There's two forms of self-obsession. One, we can all say, yeah, absolutely. That's arrogance, all right? Pride and arrogance, obviously self-obsession. If you look in the mirror and be like, yeah, what's up? Anyway, if you do that, you're obsessed with self, okay? And, and everybody can say, that guy's an arrogant guy. It's not going to end well. But then you, you, we're going to talk about one that's less popular. And, and, and certainly, I want to make sure that we handle this delicately, but there's another kind of self obsession that comes with thinking too low of yourself. Some of us, uh, we, we don't have a problem with arrogance, but we have a problem with esteem. And we think of ourselves as lesser than. Not, not in a healthy way. There's, in between, there's a healthy lesser than. But on the two ends of this pole, there is arrogance, full of self, and then uh, discouragement, emptied improperly of self. We'll talk about both, okay? But what, what, what Paul's saying here is, hey, man, proper low. Have a proper low. It's like playing basketball. Here we go. Uh, when I was taught to play basketball, you don't play basketball standing straight up, or any sport. Like, if you play a sport standing straight up with your knees locked, you're lousy at it. You're not going to be fast, agile, none of those things. If you play football, I, I, I got to play in junior high. I didn't have a high school team. But if you play football, the whole, it's all about leverage. You've got to get lower than the dude you're hitting. Because whoever's higher, well, they're going down. Because you can be the smaller guy, but if you're lower and you, you, you run out and hit somebody, you're going to be more powerful because that's where the power is. It's in staying down. Okay? We used to have this drill. You play defense in basketball. In this position, on the balls of your feet with your knees flexed, and you're just kind of sitting down. And we would, we would uh, at the beginning of practice, to warm up, our coach would make the captain of our team uh, basically just, everybody gets down in this position, we're all side by side, and he just starts walking us, and we, we have to stay down. He would actually come up with a cane. If our head would pop up above the cane, he'd hit us with it. It was the 80s, okay? And so, and so we'd do this, and then he'd say, all right, take it around the school. I kid you not. Our, our, our captain in our high school basketball team would make us squat, you know, whatever that is, all the way around our school cafeteria. We did it for like 15 minutes. Go try it. You'll feel the burn. And I'm not talking Democratic candidates. Anyway, uh, you'll, you'll feel the burn. And you'll get strong. And why did you do that? Sure to warm up for practice and all that stuff. But he wanted us to think, this is where you play. You play down here. You don't play up here. You play down here. And this is where we play the Christ life, not tall in ourselves and not laying down flat in our, you know, uh, self-pity, but we play low, proper low. We understand uh, that uh, uh, God has given us a temple. what it says here at the end. No, 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 no. He says, each, each accord, listen. We should all uh, think of ourselves with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned us. If you've read this passage before, maybe you or, or heard this preach before, uh, you've heard the measure of faith maybe explained this way, that as your faith kind of grows and, and gets higher, then, then your ability to think of yourself will be you know, clearer, and you'll be better able to assess yourself and not be so proud. And I don't disagree with that one, one iota, but I don't think that's what the Greek sentence is teaching here. When it talks about a measure, it's actually a word that means standard. So so the standard of faith that God has assigned is a standard to all of Christianity. It's this this template that the rest of the Christ lives that we live are supposed to line up with. You know, uh, anybody ever been to an art class and they tell you to draw that they put a bowl of fruit out there? You know, draw that. Well, if you sit down and draw Iron Man, you're going to fail for the day. That's not what's on the table. You draw the bowl of fruit, that's the template. And the, the measure or the template or the standard of our faith is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He, he's like the clock that's in uh, Greenwich, uh, England. Uh, Greenwich Mean Time is what every other clock, well, it used to be. Now there's like an atomic clock in Boulder, Colorado. Go, you know, USA, we got the clock now. But, uh, but you know, those, every other clock in the world, like you turn your phone on and off, guess what Apple or, or, or your, your, your uh, cell carriers are, are corresponded to? They're corresponded to the atomic clock. That's what tells you what time it is. It's not like, you know, you just get to say, well, right now it's 1.15. Wouldn't that be great if you were late for a meeting and you could be like, no. My clock says it's 1 o'clock on the dot. Well, buddy, it's 1.30 in the rest of the world. Well, I'm sorry. I can't help you with that. I just, I just know what my clock says. Well, it'd be chaos out there if we didn't have a standard for time, right? Be, it's chaos out there in the Christ world if we don't go by the standard for for the Christ world. And the standard for the Christ world of Christ's life is Christ Himself. You want to read about him? Here's what he says. It says in Philippians, Paul's talking to the church of Philippi says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Hey, that sounds a lot like what he said in, in Romans. Don't think too highly of yourselves, right? Don't be conceited. Have humility. Get to a proper low. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He goes on and he says this, verse five, have this mind. We're talking about this renewed mind. Here's what the renewed mind looks like. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is in the app that you downloaded. This, this is the mind that's already on board. You just have to allow it to become you. This is the mind. The, G, the, the, the mind that Jesus had when he when he was in the form of God, uh, decided not to count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You and I in our human finite minds can't begin to understand this because God in his uh, mind is infinite. Jesus is all God and all man. But in his all godness, he says, you know what, I'm gonna cease to hold those powers. I'm gonna set them aside. And and it says in verse seven, "I'm I'm gonna become nothing. I'm gonna take on the form of a servant. I'm gonna be born in the likeness of men. Merry Christmas, right? I'm going to come to Earth in the form of my createds for their sake. I'll set aside everything that I am, sacrifice all that, so that I can be a, an agent of salvation for them. He says this, verse eight. He was found in human form, and he humbled himself even further. Not just from be, being you know from heaven to earth, he went from earth to the grave. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. This is one of the themes of Jesus is teaching. Hey, if you're going to follow me, pick up your cross and what? Let's go. Let's follow me. When he gets to Paul, he says, be a living sacrifice, walking dead. Just make sure you're dead to you. Lay down your life for me. It's what I've done for you. It's what you should do in return for me. I said there was this arrogant side. Uh, If if you're someone here who's either um, arrogant because of your skills, uh, your riches, uh, because of your uh, place in your business, uh, wherever you are and whatever you are, you've got to understand that those are the things of your life by the grace of an almighty and loving God. So when you're starting to feel like you're something, just remember, Paul says, you're nothing. In Galatians chapter it says, uh, chapter six, it says, if we start thinking that we're something when we're nothing, trouble is a-brewing. So I don't have a whole lot to say for arrogant people today. That's not what I felt like God wanted me to, to pump in this sermon, but I will tell you, if, if, if you are standing up high and straight, God has this amazing way of kind of cutting those things down, bringing people low, and getting them back to where they're supposed to be. All right? Now, if you could do that before he has to, good on you. But arrogance isn't gonna play in the Christ life. Now, let me talk real quick about this other side, which is, and listen, I would never do this if you were sitting across a counseling table from me, if you ever get down or low. In fact, raise your hand if you've ever had one of those days. You had a bad day, right? Anybody? Okay. We, we all, because it's a broken world, we all have days where we are discouraged and depressed and everything's broken and, you know, we're at the, the country song, you know, where the truck doesn't work and the dog left and, you know, all that stuff. That happens. We say around here all the time, it's okay not to be okay, it's just not okay to what? It's just not okay to stay there. Not saying that you can't be real and authentic and have bad days. Have them. But as the base, the foundation of your bad days, there should be this confidence, this belief that regardless of what's going on in my circumstances, God is still on his throne. That God, when he made me, did not mess up. He created me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If I'm feeling feelings of despondency and despair to the point that I want to end me, which happens, I have to not just deal with that emotionally, not just to deal with that with some counseling. I have to come against that as a lie from the pit of hell because the ending of me is the ending of something that God has created by his hand. It's a lie. And I would never say these things as firmly as I'm saying to you in a, as a message if you're coming to me. So if, don't, don't worry. If you come to me, we'll be more delicate. But I want you to know that under, that all the, the depression and the discouragement of the world is spiritual. There's a spiritual component. I believe it's rooted in the spiritual. Where you refuse to believe that God has given you. You have been in, imputed with worth because God has made you. And you can have bad days, but don't have desperate days. Because none of us here are desperate because God is on the throne. Are you with me? My dad was uh, um, diagnosed with cancer in his mid-50s. Uh, it took nine years uh, of his, uh, for his life to, to finally, with that, have their complications come to an end and for him to go see Jesus. Uh, he had good days, and sometimes he had bad days. Uh, one of them was, uh, was the first Christmas that he had cancer. Uh, he, had his, he had my mom uh, uh, wrap up a shirt and a tie that he had bought for himself, Uh, And he opened it as the last gift at Christmas. So all our families were there. We just found out he had cancer. We'd all been praying for him to be delivered from his illness. Uh, We were there celebrating, you know, like we were wanting to do there in Illinois at Christmas. And and he had all the kids get out. And then he had uh, just the the sons and daughters, the in-laws or whatever, uh, gather for the final opening of this gift. He was kind of melodramatic that way. So he opened this gift and we're like, oh, cool, you got a shirt and a tie. Who got you that? And that's when he announced to us, well, I got this for me so I could wear it in my casket. Well, Christmas is over. <laughs> and I remember, that I was torn. Because listen, I love my dad. And I love anybody who is going through a difficult time like that. To receive a diagnosis like that late in life, not knowing whether it's going to turn out. Man, my heart goes out. Part of me sympathetic. Part of me wanted to hug him. The other part of me wanted to punch him. And here's why. Hey, man, get busy living or get busy dying. That's the choice when we find out things in life, right? And we can either find these uh, you know, challenges in life and say, you know what, until God takes my last breath from me, I will live for him, I will honor him, and I'm going to use uh, whatever I have left for the glory of him, and off we go. And he had days like that, to the glory of God. And then he had days where it was just like, mmm, Eeyore. And listen, is it okay to have those days? Do I ever grudge my dad that? No, I get it. Had some of them myself. But I want everybody in here to know that our default setting in Christ is victory. He has given us life, promises, and his power. And there's nothing, I believe, that we go through that he can't get us through. And we hold on to him no matter what's going on. Are you with me? So be encouraged in that. If you come and talk to me, I'll be gentler with it. (laughs) But I sense God wanted us to hear that today. Last thing is this, and I'll just, I don't have much time. I'll just mention this. Accept that Christianity is a team sport. Uh, it, well, I'll just read this one verse, and I won't get to the rest of it. Here it says, for as, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So, verse 5, uh, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. There's basically three ideas there. There's, there's one body, so there's unity. Okay? We, we are meant to function as a church together in unity. It's one of our values around here. Stay together. Okay, but we are diverse. Look around. Don't look them in the eye though, but look around. There's a whole bunch of people in here, a whole bunch of walks of lives, backgrounds, skills, talents, personalities, and and then spiritual gifts, which is what he's getting to here. We're diverse. We're very different. So there's unity, there's diversity, but then finally he says uh, that we are individually members of one another. There's a mutuality. The Christian life is like the three-legged race. Anybody ever been in a three-legged race with someone? you know what that is? They take your legs and they tie them down here somewhere and you have to run together from one point to another whoever gets their wins or whoever gets their first wins. <clears throat> this is how most all, uh, every 3 regular lace I've ever been in has worked. You know, if I'm with my teenage son, I remember doing this once when he was, you know, Ben was in middle school. Uh, okay, you ready, son? We're gonna try to, you know, time this out. Well, for, you know, one, two, one, two. You try to do that? Well, after the first one, two, we're on like three and then seven and then, you know, it's not working out. So typically, he falls down and I just drag him across the finish line. Anybody <laughs> know what that looks like in a three-legged race? There's always one tandem that that's what ends up happening. People who win that, though, they sync up. Uh, think about marriages. Uh, marriages that work, sync up. Marriages that don't work, is dragging somebody across the yard, right? Uh, but the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, the two shall become what? One. There's a mutuality. There's a diversity, but a mutuality. And in a church... We are meant to sync up, and I'm so grateful to be a part of of a church that for the most part has done that. When we've raised challenges around here, hey, let's pay off three and a half million dollars of debt in three years. Boom, everybody plays their part. Hey, let's have a car show. You you should have been up here. If you weren't up here yesterday, you know what the most, I I like cars, they're fine. Flip your lid, let's see the engine. Oh, look, it's like an engine. But, uh, (laughs) But you know what I'm most impressed by at our car show? The, the, the literally, you know, uh, 100 or so people who are running around our car show from our church serving behind the scenes faithfully, uh, with, without recognition, without whatever, and, and they're working together so that this whole thing can come off, right? We got, we've, we're handing high schoolers walkie-talkies, and they're, they're parking cars. I mean, everybody pray at that point, but, but is everybody with me on that? And everybody does their part. Everybody mans their post. A successful church is like an engine, I took my daughter's uh, car, it's a lemon, but I took my daughter's car in the other day uh, and, and uh, we put a, you know, a little bit of money into this car now and uh, we keep finding out that there's other things wrong with it. The, the engine doesn't function right when things are wrong with it. They pulled out the spark plugs in this car, uh, they were rusted like they'd been left on a beach for a couple years. I mean, they're just horrible. Well, that's minor, but the coils that they were rusting into, that was a little more major. And so we had to replace all that and get new spark plugs and stuff like that. But this amazing thing happened. When you, t- when you did all that stuff, that came at a cost, but when you did all that stuff, guess what happened to the engine? Well, it wasn't like sputtering and kicking the whole way down 60 like it was when I was driving to the garage. It ran smooth. And here's the deal, and I'll leave you with this. The body of Christ, the Christ life in general, starts with individual surrender. Everybody in here has got to decide to make a, themselves a living sacrifice. Walking dead, dead to me, Okay? That's the Christ life. It's about him, and he's first, preeminent, prominent. He's the point of my life. It, it goes from there to uh, understanding who I am, this, this sober-minded self-assessment. I'm going to be proper low. I'm not going to be too low. I'm not going to be certainly too high, but I'm going to stay low. Surrender means staying low. And then f- But from there, listen, if we can do those two things, surrender and stay low, man, it opens up this vast opportunity, this incredible uh, uh, blessing of, of doing life together as the church, of, of doing ministry together as a church, everybody playing their part, everybody contributing. It's like a finely tuned engine when a church gets to that point. It's full of surrendered people, people who are properly low, people who know their gifts and contribute them, grateful to be a part of a church that for the most part that's happening. But I want to say one last thing and I'll let you go. There's far too many people in this church and every church out there who have yet to bring their peace to the engine. We used to play board games when I was a kid. Remember those? You've got to be a certain age. Anybody remember board games? Some of you are like, is it on a screen? No, it's not on a screen. Pre-screens, they had boxes that came with like paper and pieces and one of them is Monopoly. I won't be over patronizing here. But we used to play Monopoly. We'd set the whole thing up. That was like a task in itself, right? Set the whole thing up to play Monopoly, have all the you know, properties and everything assigned. I was always the hat. I don't know what you were. But we'd start to play Monopoly, and we'd reach in the box for the dice. And I don't know where the dice in our house went, but we would have 50 games, and there wouldn't be one set of dice in any of them. Here's why. Because we would lose the dice in the Monopoly game, and we'd take it out of the Sorry game. And we'd lose the dice in the Sorry game. I mean, we even started using the pop matic thing. You know what I'm talking about? But we even lost that whole thing one time. So you'd get this whole thing set up for Monopoly and you couldn't play because you didn't have these two little cubes with some numbers on them. Wrecked the whole game. And I think a lot of times churches are playing without their dice. I think a lot of times there's just people who, and listen, it could be because you're taking a break. You know, you've been working somewhere else or serving somewhere else and you're just kind of on a little vacation. I get it. Sabbath is good could be because you're just new to Christ. You didn't know you were supposed to be a part of something. could be that you're just rebellious and you're just not going to be doing it. You should just be grateful, Mark, that I'm here. But whatever the case, listen, man, this thing's meant to, run, you know, run. And we can either be a 2.4 liter or we can be like a 350 or I'm not an engine guy but a bigger engine. We could be a jet engine. We could be a Boeing 747 engine or, or we could be a golf cart. And it just depends on how many people bring their stuff. Bring their whole selves, bring all that God has gifted them with to the, to, the, to the engine. And my prayer for us as a church is that we'll bring everything that God has brought us, and that we'll be a mighty, roaring engine, and that we'll move forward in the mission that God has given us. We'll see Brandon come to Christ. That's not crazy talk. Wouldn't that be great to see the entire city through our church and other churches like us, who got everybody focused and functioning in the same direction? Uh, out there making a difference for Christ, wouldn't it be great to have CNN and HSN? Well, that's a shopping network. But all the, all the, all the networks come into Brandon and to be like, what's happened here? Well, I'll tell you what happened here. A bunch of churches stopped playing church and they decided for everybody who was a part of the church to be a real part of the church and, and things just started popping. It was weird. But that's what God wants to do. I believe with all my heart. starts with us. Surrender, proper low, and bring all that gave you so that He can use it to his glory through your church. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. Use it in our lives. Change us. Help us to surrender. Help us to stay low. And then use us together as a church to make you famous in a world that desperately needs you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Have a great Memorial Day. I'll see you next week. God bless you as you go.